Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Les Crawford. I'm one of the elders here at City Reach Baptist Church, Oakton. I also work full-time with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And this morning we're going to look at a passage which highlights who Jesus is. Now, despite being the most famous person in human history, Jesus is often misunderstood and wrongly identified. Uh, You don't have to go in the streets of Adelaide and ask who Jesus is to the population there, and I think you get some rather interesting responses. And, you know, perhaps these are two of the most frustrating experiences you can have. You know, not to be recognized for who you are or to be wrongly identified as someone else. And it's especially true, you know, if you've gone to great lengths to communicate, you know, this is me, and people say, oh, no, no, it's not you. Uh, That would be very frustrating. And John's gospel is very focused on who Jesus is. His identity is a primary theme. Uh, He's clearly communicating who Jesus is from the very beginning. When we open up John's gospel, it begins with who Jesus is. He's actually God, the one who was made flesh and dwelt among us, the Word. But unfortunately, throughout John's gospel, you're going to read that many just don't get it. They don't comprehend Jesus' identity. And perhaps there's two main reasons why that occurs. One is that they fail to grasp who Jesus is because he doesn't fit with their preconceived ideas about an expected Messiah. Uh, Jewish people typically were waiting for this special person to come and deliver them from the domination of the Roman Empire, Uh, establish them again like in the days of David where they were a prosperous and politically powerful nation, enjoying all the good benefits of God's blessings in their lives. Others struggled with Jesus' identity, and these compounded together often, because when Jesus did the amazing things he did, when he healed people, when he performed miracles, he actually did it on Saturday, the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath. And for them, that was totally unacceptable. You just don't do those things. You don't work on the Sabbath, on Saturday. And so they disqualified him. I can't be who he says he is because if he was who he said he was, he wouldn't be doing these things on Saturday. He'd be doing them every other day of the week. Crazy tradition that they held. And in John chapter 8, we've already seen, if you've been here for a number of weeks, that Jesus healed a blind person, a, a man who was born blind from birth. And that was an unheard of miracle, never been recorded in the Old Testament Never happened, as far as we know, in the life of the nation of Israel. It's an amazing miracle. But it was rejected by the Pharisees because it was on a Saturday. Broke their tradition. And then in chapter 10, Jesus asserts that he is the good shepherd. And this causes another controversy. And there's a division of people about who he is. You know, is he really who he says he is? He can't be who he says he is? And so on it went. And it seemed that no matter what Jesus said or whatever he did, there were many, the majority, unfortunately, just didn't get it. They could not see through their own eyes clearly his true identity. And this climax of who Jesus is 
is now before us in this passage when we turn to the city of Jerusalem, very, very critical center of Jewish life. And the surrounding Jews, they kind of gathered around him because Jesus was one of those figures that attracted a crowd. And they're kind of wanting Jesus to make it very clear who he is. As he's walking in the temple, in the colonnades, they gather around him and they say, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So they surround him. <laughs> Challenge him to reveal his identity. Now, this is two months after what had happened earlier with the episode of healing the blind man and the consequent controversy of being the good shepherd. And it's recording Jesus' final public teaching before those dramatic events of the Passion Week are going to unfold and Jesus will eventually be crucified and then raised from the dead on the third day. And so it introduced a very controversial conversation, starting at verse 20 through, uh, 22 and going through to the end of the chapter. And there are three main sections here and three main things I want to get across to you in this overall theme. Now, this is the big idea of this message. Jesus' identity is plain to see if you're willing to examine the evidence without prejudice. And we're going to see that in three parts. We're going to see that there is a basis for knowing Jesus' identity. That is, if you're willing to be a follower of Jesus, you'll know who he really is. It's a characteristic of his genuine disciples. But you'll see that it's actually a missing component in the lives of his opponents because they actually give him a mistaken identity. They assign him a wrong identity, which is a barrier for knowing him. And then we're going to see that there's an outside witness that verifies the true identity of Jesus. And so there's sort of backing for Jesus' identity. We're going to see those things unfold as we look at the passage. So let me pray and we'll do that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time of worship. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to pray and to give and to sing. And now as we come to your word, we ask that you give us listening ears to hear what your spirit says to us and that you'll enable me to be able to speak clearly and compellingly from this chapter, this section of your word, which is so precious and powerful. And we ask that you do this for the glory of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. And so uh, the PowerPoint's working this service. This is amazing. You know, a miracle has happened in the technology. <laughs> Jesus is confronted by these Jews. Now, the Jews is a generic term for his opponents, really. They sometimes are composed of the Pharisees and the scribes and the members of the Sanhedrin. Sometimes it's the general population who are questioning him. But the reality is that it's probably not a genuine question. How long will you keep us in suspense? Well, he hadn't been keeping them in suspense. You know, when are you going to reveal that you are the Christ? Tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us plainly the answer is he already has on multiple occasions. You only have to read earlier in John 8 when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And that's a very bold declaration of his identity. And they understood it because they took up stones to kill him. Uh, they weren't in any sort of misconceptions or sort of misunderstandings about his claims. They knew what he was saying. And we're going to see it again in this episode in Jerusalem. 
And so there's this direct question. They want him to tell them plainly if you are the Messiah. And then Jesus gives a very clear response. He says, I told you. <laughs> That's it. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. That you don't believe because you are not part of my flock. It's pretty clear that Jesus is giving plenty of evidence to demonstrate who he is. But these opponents are not willing to receive the evidence because they actually are prejudiced. Now, they have decided already this cannot be the Messiah. And it's almost like they're blind and yet Jesus has already told them earlier that actually they do see. Because they said, oh, we are blind so that you can't, we cannot see. He said, well, no, if you were blind, then you wouldn't be accountable. You're actually accountable because you do see, but you reject what you see. You don't believe it. You see, his miraculous works were works of mercy. And because they were done contrary to the tradition of the Sanhedrin, the leaders, the Jewish people, they were rejected. Saturdays were out of bounds. You couldn't do any works of mercy on Saturday, which was contrary to the law, actually. It wasn't. A tradition that was biblically sound, it was a tradition that was man-made. And so he gives this reason, you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. So he kind of distinguishes between those who are genuine disciples and those who are his opponents. Uh, see, the basis for knowing Jesus' identity is actually being one of his genuine disciples. You have to welcome Jesus for who he is to actually understand who he is. It's an amazing combination. You see, he goes on to say in verse 27 that my sheep, the genuine followers of Jesus, hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. So there's a relationship between those who are genuinely seeking and then following Jesus as against those who were the opponents. You see, they heard Jesus' voice. They listened to what he was saying. And they received it. It wasn't just hearing with the ears, it was receiving it with the heart. That's what was happening for them. They knew who Jesus was as a consequence of doing that. They followed him. They actually put their listening ears, their acceptance of who he was into action. They actually followed him. And then he says that he knows them. And the word know there is not just informational. It's not like, well, I know that there's you know, a service on at City Reach Baptist Church, Oakton at 10.45 uh, Sunday morning. That's information. This is relationship. It's like I know my wife, Elizabeth, or I know my children, Daniel, David, and Rebecca, or I know my grandchildren, uh, which seems to be an expanding number to know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I know them because I have an intimate connection. I have a relationship with them. And that's what Jesus said. I know them. They are mine. They belong to me. And he actually says a lot more than that because he says, I give to them eternal life and eternal security. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he makes a radical claim which provokes more controversy. I and the Father are one. You see, those who follow Jesus get the benefits of that relationship, which is eternal life and eternal security. Nothing 
can take them out of a relationship with God once it's established. It's amazing. It's a fantastic gift. But when he says, because he's the one who keeps them and the Father keeps them, it's a mutual work, they are therefore one, this provokes a really strong reaction. And so the Jews' response to Jesus' claim is one, kill him. In verse 31, the Jews picked up stones against, uh, again to stone him. Now, it says again because this isn't the first time that they've tried to do this. You see, this bold claim is so contrary to the way they think. They can't see Jesus because they're not willing to accept the evidence that's clearly before them, all of these amazing miracles that he has done. They are rejecting them because they don't fit their preconceived ideas or they threaten their political and spiritual authority. They don't want Jesus. So if you want to know Jesus, then you really need to be a willing follower. You need to be willing to look at the evidence and allow the evidence to point you to who Jesus really is. That's a step forward. But there's a barrier, as I've mentioned. You see, these people are going to assign to Jesus a very wrong identity. And it's going to be a huge barrier for them to be able to welcome him. And Jesus isn't ready to die yet, by the way. God's plan is not for him to be stoned to death, but he's going to actually be crucified on a cross, a Roman cross. And that's going to be some time away. And so Jesus is incredibly wise. And he can actually defuse situations. He can actually confuse situations for a good end. And so he starts to interrupt them. He says, Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? So he kind of points them back to the evidence. He's being very gracious in doing this. He's doing everything he can to get them to reconsider their opinion about him. Look at the evidence. Which one of these are you going to stone me for? Well, they have a response to this, of course. The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, blasphemy was a very serious crime within the nation of Israel because to claim to be God when you're not was the highest offensive thing you could do. And so it immediately provokes the death penalty. Uh, and in that case, if he was genuinely blasphemous, then their reaction wasn't bad. Their reaction was just and appropriate. But of course, they've got it wrong. They're assigning him blasphemy when in fact he's honoring his father and he's living out obedience to his father. He's actually representing his father perfectly to these people. So Jesus then responds to their accusation. He says, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If you called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. Uh, he's actually quoting here from Psalm 82 verse 6. So in the Psalms, the psalmist actually refers to human beings with the term gods, which is a highly elevated term and pretty unusual. It doesn't happen very often. And what he's saying then is if human beings could be referred in this manner, how much more so... Would the one that the Father sent, the one that the Father consecrated, the one who is actually the Son of God himself, uniquely, no other one like him, because he's actually God incarnate, 
it's so appropriate that I would make the claim because it's who I am it isn't blasphemy now it's kind of delaying the inevitable sadly because they're not being persuaded by this again they sought to arrest him and he escapes from their hands but before that actually happens he says this if I'm not doing the works of my father then do not believe me but if I do them even though you do not believe me believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father again he's trying to persuade them look at the works they're undeniable Who's raised people from the dead? Who's healed a blind man? Who's healed leprosy? Who's cast out demons? Who's done all of these miraculous works over a period of several years? Nobody in the history of humanity had ever done anything like it. He is the unique Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is God incarnate. Look at the works. Sadly, they cannot because their prejudice is so rooted against him that they want to arrest him and take him and kill him. But it's not time. So Jesus escapes. It's like he just walks away and there's nothing they can do about it. When it is time, he will willingly be arrested and he will willingly suffer the death of the cross. But it isn't time yet. And so we then move to another scene, the final scene for this chapter. And it says, He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. So Jerusalem and the River Jordan are actually not that far apart at this point, and where John was baptizing is near Bethany, which isn't that far from Jerusalem. So it's not as if he has to make a three-day journey or anything like this. It's only a few hours to relocate to actually where he himself had been baptized by John. Because in the opening chapter of John's Gospel, you hear about John's introduction of the Word of God, who becomes flesh, and then you read about the fact that John the Baptist was baptizing and Jesus came to be baptized by John, which he was very reluctant to do because of the difference in who he was compared to Jesus. But he says, you know, suffer it for righteousness sake. It's necessary for this to be done. It's part of God's plan. And then when that takes place, John makes this incredible declaration. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Messiah. This is God's provision. This is the Savior of the world. This is the only one who can deal with our sin problem. And uh, the people that had been in that area would have been a part of all this whole scene. They'd heard about John the Baptist. They'd heard about Jesus. And so when it says here, Jesus remaining in this place where John had been baptizing at first, and many came to him, that's to Jesus, and they said, John did no sign... But everything that John said about this man was true. You see, John was a prophet, and he was the voice crying in the wilderness. He actually didn't work miracles. The miracle that he was was himself, and his declaration that the nation had to repent and had to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And then he introduces the Messiah, and no doubt had taught more about the Messiah. In fact, he said things like, you know, he was before me, I'm not worthy to undo the sandals that he uses you know put himself in a very humble position and put the messiah in a very elevated position and he testified he'd witnessed to the messiah and guess what the people recognized 
Even though he'd not been a worker of signs, which always point to something, his testimony was what? True. true. So everything that Jesus was, was true. true. The evidence was true. true. And therefore it should be what? Believe. Believed. Thanks, Timon. You're great. Front row. <laughs> and guess what happens? It says here, and many believed in him there. You see, they were willing to accept the evidence. The evidence was clear. The evidence was, in a sense, compelling. The evidence was almost indisputable. But it wasn't always persuasive. And the reason it wasn't persuasive is not that it wasn't sufficient of itself. It was because of prejudice. It was because of preconceived commitments to a very different outcome. I cannot have this man to rule over me because, and you can list the excuses, you can list the reasons, but they're all selfish. They all relate to me. I don't want to be threatened by his overtaking of my life. I don't want to be put in a position where I have to humble myself. I'd rather be proud and self-sufficient. I don't want to do any of those things which seem to me to be losses when in fact, what do we get from Jesus? We get eternal life and eternal security. If you want to live with peace for the future, you need Jesus. We're living in a very difficult time in our world. If you live in Western culture, the place is falling apart. There's no guarantee that we will have the same kind of country in 10 years that we enjoy today. It is a very different world, and there are heaps of people that are anxious about it. And I'll tell you, one of the main reasons that people are anxious about it is because the narrative that's being told through the media is, we don't have much time, guys. If we don't address this climate emergency, 12 years, we're going to be shot. People are worried about that. Kids are anxious about that. But you know, God says, you don't have to worry about that. Because I'm sovereign over this earth. I'm sovereign over this universe. And I'm sovereign over your lives. And if you trust me, then you can be guaranteed that you have eternal life and eternal security. Now, God does have a plan from the world. And I can talk to you at another time about that. Reality is that Jesus is offering in his person all that we need for everyday life. The peace, the security, the hope, all that we really need. But most of it, of course demands of us that we surrender. That we say, yes, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Your claims are true, and I am willing to follow you. And when Jesus said, follow me, he said, follow me completely. Give yourself to my control. So yeah, there is a basis for knowing Jesus. It's being a willing follower. It's being willing to look at the evidence and say, yes, the evidence is clear and it's compelling. But there are barriers, pre preconceived ideas, prejudices, things that I will not give up, I will not surrender. But there's plenty of witness, lots of witness. In fact, this room is full of witnesses to the reality of Jesus. Amen. But I wonder if you've ever experienced an identity problem. Have you ever had a problem with your identity? I did once, not that long ago, because... As the executor of my dad's estate, I had to be identified. I had to be recognized for who I really was. And uh, that was, unfortunately, needing to be done with the Suncourt Bank, which is based in Queensland. They have one office in Adelaide which does this in the city, which is always a bit awkward. You know, I'd 
I don't really like going into the city. You have to park, you've got to pay for it. You know, Scottish blood, it doesn't like it. <laughs> and so I had to provide documents to demonstrate who I am. Now, my full name is Leslie James Crawford. The only document that has my full name on it is my passport. And my passport is British. Sorry, I'm not yet an Australian citizen. You can't believe it. I know I'm a married to an Australian wife, got an Australian household and all the rest of it. But I'm not an Australian citizen. I don't have an Australian passport. I've got a British passport. Guess what? The electronic verification system in the bank does not process a British passport. So what happens? Well, the staff are really helpful. Over several attempts, we eventually actually identify I am Leslie James Crawford. <laughs> Hallelujah for that. I'm glad I know that I am. And so my identity was eventually verified, it was eventually resolved, but not so for Jesus. No matter what was done, and he did everything that Jesus could do to convince his opponents as to who he was, you know, he was not lacking in trying, they would not be persuaded. I wonder if you've resolved Jesus' identity today. Have you really come to grips with who Jesus is? Because if you have then you're going to surrender to him. That you aren't going to hand your life to him. I mean, he is God incarnate. He is the only saviour. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is everything. So we have to hand our lives over to him. There's no other way to God and there's no other way into eternity. And by the way, we're only a heartbeat away from that reality. I was 65 yesterday. Thank you. Clap, clap. Yeah, wonderful. It's my birthday. And uh, I was working out, the average age for men in Australia is 82. That means I have 17 years left of life on this earth, by average. But the reality is I only have a heartbeat left. Some of you have got heaps much more expectation of life. I'm sure that the engaged couple's hoping that life will go on for quite a while. Uh, that's what, you know, we always think, I wish Jesus would come back, but after the wedding. Uh, yeah, I wish Jesus would come, but, uh, you, know, you know, those kind of things. But... The reality is that eternity is only a heartbeat away. And the only way to be prepared for eternity, to have eternal life and eternal security, is Jesus. There is no other way. He is God's provision. And so if you don't know him today, I encourage you, examine the evidence. If you're willing to examine the evidence, I'm confident that you will come to the conclusion as to who Jesus is and your need for him. If you do so with an open mind. Not with a prejudiced heart that says, nah, I could never be that person because he, you know, he doesn't do things the way I want him to do it. Or he does things that I don't want him to do. That is always going to be a barrier. And if you are a genuine disciple of Jesus, then this is a message that needs to get out. This is a message that needs to be proclaimed. It's a message that needs to be shared. And uh, it's encouraging to know that we've got an Alpha program coming up. We've had a mission month focus. We've seen people respond to the gospel uh, it's been a fantastic time, but there's so many more in Adelaide. There's over a million people that really don't know Jesus, that need to. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Uh, it is clear. It's compelling. The evidence is there. And I pray for any this morning that haven't yet surrendered to your son, the Lord Jesus, haven't yet believed in him for who he is and what he accomplishes, the gifts that he gives, uh, I pray that you would work in their hearts to that end. And for us who know him, that we would rejoice in what we have, that we have eternal life, we have eternal security, uh, that we would then live out that joy and that peace, uh, that love uh, daily into the lives of others. 
and that many will come to know and love him. He deserves the worship of all. He deserves the following of all, the obedience of all. Uh, his name is to be glorified, not ours. And so we ask that you do that for his sake and his name. Amen.